G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Today we hear from a successful worker-led campaign to maintain conditions and wages at CSR and follow with an insider's view of what is happening for nurses during the COVID crisis. But first, some union news. Some important news from the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, on the Patrick's dispute. The MUA advised members on February the 7th that at the 11th hour, an in-principle agreement with Patrick Terminals Management had been struck for a new enterprise agreement. This outcome means that Patrick's Terminals planned court action to terminate the company's existing employment agreement with over a 1,000 MUA members will no longer proceed subject to members endorsing the new agreement. Despite what the MUA calls a political campaign of misinformation and interference, the ACCC, the Productivity Commission and even Scott Morrison, the union has always sought to work cooperatively with Patrick Terminals Management on continuous business improvement to ensure job security, safety and productivity at Patrick Terminals' four ports. The new enterprise agreement that has been agreed upon will deliver pay increases above industry standard, job security assurances, as well as fairness and dignity for hard-working members at Patrick's four terminals around Australia, says the MUA. This has delivered a well-deserved annual pay increase pegged to CPI or 2.5% per annum, whichever is greater, to guarantee waterfront workers' pay won't fall behind the out-of-control growth of the cost of living. In South Australia, an important win for paid, non-salaried public sector workers, including hospital cleaners, orderlies, catering staff, disability support workers, school cleaners, groundskeepers, pathology couriers, national park staff and many more, they all gave 94% yes vote for their new EBA. These workers, represented by the United Workers' Union, took a stand for the first time in nearly 20 years and nearly two years in negotiations. That saw the government attempting to remove or severely change 50 different provisions, the removal of key job security protections and creating a pathway to privatisation of their jobs. During their fight back, over 50 different worksites implemented work bans and work-to-rule-style actions, along with members at seven key metro hospitals, amounting to hundreds of workers taking stop-work action and walking off the job. What have they won? Four by 2% annual wage rises against a government which has a 1.5% cap on public sector wage rises. Payback to July 2021 plus two by $500 payments which aren't pro-rated so casual and part-timers get the full payment. All job 
security protections maintained and unaltered, including a clause which stops any further privatisation of the work they perform, improved consultation clauses. The ETU, the Electrical Trades Union, is warning that the Australian Energy Regulator, AER, has cut around $1 billion per year since 2012 from electricity maintenance, leaving Australian consumers and electrical workers on the front line vulnerable to the effects of severe weather events and disabling the ability of renewable energy systems to connect to the grid. The union says electrical workers on the front line are facing occupational health and safety risks by performing their duties on outdated failing assets, while ageing electricity assets being shown by the Bushfire Royal Commission to be the cause of five of the deadly Black Saturday bushfires. With more severe weather events predicted due to climate change, it has never been more important to have a resilient energy asset which can stand the test of time, the ETU says. The ETU says a national electricity rule change needs to be made to fix AER decision-making processes and to stop the cuts to preventative maintenance and network upgrades required for climate preparedness and energy transitions to protect consumers, the community and electrical workers. In New South Wales and Victoria, food workers represented by the United Workers Union at Sun Rice Group stopped work for two days following the company's attempt to wind back basic conditions and rights. From 6am February the 1st, more than 300 workers from Sunrise and its subsidiaries, Coprice and Australian Grain Storage, AGS, took strike action from six sites across New South Wales and Victoria. Workers are seeking a 4% pay rise, which equates to approximately a $1 an hour raise. United Workers Union Food and Beverage lead Tom Check said Sun Rice's attempt to cut workers out of the bargaining process was insulting to the people who had kept food on supermarket shelves throughout the pandemic. Workers were supposed to meet with company management in an attempt to resolve the dispute, which has dragged on now for more than eight months, Mr Check said. However, the billion-dollar company decided it would be a good idea to cut workers out of the meetings, which, for obvious reasons, is something the union would not abide. Sunrise is a company which continues to grow and record profits, but is refusing modest wage rises for the very workers who have contributed to their successes. The dispute is ongoing. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You're on Stick Together, Workers' Stories and Union News. Despite COVID, workers have been fighting back as employers try to cut wages and conditions. We hear from CFMEU organiser Kylie Brown, who personed the pickets at CSR dispute in Melbourne to a successful conclusion for the workers. We've report, we've had you on the concrete gang before when this dispute started uh, with CSR and we've had a fantastic outcome apparently. Yeah, we have. So on the 17th of December at about 4pm, we got the call through from CSR that they were going to accept um, the claims that we had on the table. 
So we ended up getting a four-year agreement with a 4% pay increase per year. There was a reclassification of um, the majority of the um, departments. Uh, we also got an increase in the night shift allowance, so that went from 23.75 to 27%. Um, a 2% increase on the afternoon shift went from 20 to 22%. They're getting a back pay until the 11th of October. There were some extra skills which attracted an allowance which will be locked in for them forever. And, um, yeah, just a bit of tidying up of the agreement itself. So, all in all, it was a really great win. That's a fantastic outcome and uh, uh, fair, fair crack to all the boys out there and the women out there, um, you know, stick and fat. That's what it's all about in the Kylie. Oh, yeah. Look, the longer they stayed out, the stronger they got. And that had a lot to do with all of the support that they were receiving from the union and from our shop stewards. Like, everybody just came together and um, everyone stood united and we won. And it was just, it was so brilliant for those guys because a lot of the members out there as well, they've, they've been working there for like 30 years and over some of them. And they've waited that long to see a result like this from CSR. So it was such, such a great win. I suppose you've got some people you want to thank, some people that maybe supported you through that or...? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, we want to um, not only thank the CFMEU, but also the ETU and the plumbers. They put in a lot of money um, towards supporting the guys. We had such a huge turnout of all of our shop stewards. So um, I want to thank you and, you know, um, they they went a long way of just really making sure that, that the boys felt that um, the whole part of the union and, and that they weren't alone. Um, I also want to thank the delegates that we have out at CSR. You know, they, they all showed real commitment and they were there day in, day out, and they gave the boys unwavering support. So um, there's probably a few people that I've forgotten, but um, everybody who just played a part throughout... Um, it's all about sticking fat and, and sticking together, and that's what happens, you know? And yeah. it was very well led by you, Kylie, I've got to say couple of times I was out there was uh, very well led and um, that's what it's all about so congratulations oh, you. on your on your first was that your first rule picket line yeah pretty much yeah. yes it was yeah, yeah. they're good so fun aren't they it's going to be hard to top that <laughs> no it will be yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's a great we're effort for about, yeah it was we're out for about 23 or so days um, so it was really good to get it done before the Christmas break so everyone could just get back to, you know, enjoying themselves and everything. But, um, you know, we were we were prepared to stick it out a lot longer. So um, anyone who's listening who's going to go into negotiations with us from here on in, take a look at that dispute because that's exactly what we can do and we'll be bringing it to every other fight and every other negotiation. So... Boom, yeah. offside, on notice. Bang. <laughs> you, you're not sort of, uh, you know, you, they, they're not rolling the red carpet out for you. They put you on the phones. No, well, that's it. I mean, everyone's got a job to do and um, we've all got to just play our part. doesn't matter what it is, whether it's out on the picket line or on the org's desk, you know. Um, we've all got to get in there and do it. There's, the work never ends. And again, thanks to everybody that um, supported us throughout the entire picket line. It was great. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. While nurses are taking strike action in Sydney and in the south and north coast of New South Wales and beleaguered aged care staff are calling for a 21 to 25% pay rise as the outcomes of the Omicron strain of COVID hits, we hear from Paul Gilbert, 
Assistant Secretary of the AMNF, the Australian Midwives and Nurses Federation, Victoria Branch, who is speaking at an event on Friday the 11th called COVID-19 Disaster, Workers Fight Back. Yeah, it's been a horrendous four weeks in the health system. Um, this has been a, an unprecedented event. Um, you know, a once-in-a-century event. You've got to go back to the Spanish flu, or Spanish wasn't even their flu, but that doesn't matter, um, to the tuberculosis hospitals. You've got to go all the way back to those kind of things to find a, a comparable moment. <clears throat> you know, should we have known it was going to happen? Um, well, a pandemic is inevitable. When will it happen? That's the thing nobody knows. For more than 30 years, we've known um, that amongst our membership, the biggest single issue that gives them respect at work isn't money. And I'm not going to say money is not important, it is. It's actually having a manageable workload that enables you to do what you've been educated to do. You get job satisfaction from that and you deserve to be paid well for that. So our focus has been sometimes at the expense of wages, our focus for a very long time has been on improving, securing, mandating and improving staffing levels. Um, in 2019, we had our first decent wage increase uh, for a very long time for our public sector members. Um, and that was in no small part because our ratios, instead of having to bargain for them every four years, were now in legislation. Um, so we were free to bargain without concern that we would have our staffing levels compromised by a good wage increase. And that's um, something that I'm sure a lot of unions have experienced in the AIDS care sector, particularly, is that every time you improve the wages by 2%, you decrease the staffing levels by 2%. And it's a, it's a, a creature or nature of a profit-driven system. That, that, is, that is the reaction. They will keep their 14% return on investment and they'll take the cost out of staffing. To say that the impact of COVID has been extraordinary, extraordinary, I don't think you could, it's such an understatement, particularly since Omicron. Now, we thought it was bad, you know, in December, and then we had this little moment of reflection where it, it, it paused in, in, in a real sense and then came back with an absolute vengeance, a vengeance that I don't think the community fully recognised and even now doesn't fully recognise. We, in order to staff the wards that had thousands and thousands of COVID positive patients in them who were in respiratory distress, the only way we could come close to staffing those was to redeploy people from theatres and surgical wards. The consequence of that is you, and forgive my French, but you piss off the theatre nurses to begin with, and I hear about that very often, um, but you also have to pause elective surgery, and that is not, not welcomed by us by anyone. But when you've got a conundrum uh, like we had, um, it was one of the few tools we had to get us close to having some staff for those wards. If you think back a little over two weeks ago, we had 6,400 healthcare workers in Victoria in isolation on one day alone. 6,400 in furlough. And there's a word that wasn't used out of America in my experience until the last two years. Um, so 6,400 in one day, that's, you know, that's like six, seven, eight percent of the workforce on furlough for a week, um, peaking at 6,400. 
At the same time, we had over 3,000 people admitted for COVID treatment in our health system. So you had a perfect storm, um, a reduction in the already fragile levels of available staff and a massive increase in um, patients requiring care. Uh, it was it was and is uh, and remains an extraordinarily painful uh, moment in our history. Some of the wards, we've got 50% less nurses on than we had on those wards before COVID. Um, that includes 21 of our major emergency departments. So not only have we got a crisis in terms of the severity of the people who are turning up for care, we've got half the number of nurses that we would have had beforehand caring for them. Um, that has meant that we've had to bring in students, we've had to bring in um, some of Andrew's members who wouldn't ordinarily have a, you know, be expected to do nursing work. Um, um, students of, of his professions, um, retired people, um, I think they're just about taking anyone. And um, when our members, as I said before, our members' number one issue in terms of the respect for themselves and what they do is workload. And workload is numbers and numbers are shot. Um, these things have to stop and have to stop very quickly um, because it has a cumulative effect on our members' mental wellbeing. And um, that's creating distress, anger, trauma, um, resignations from the system, um, all things that will take a very long time to fix. Um, our private acutes have, have picked up a, a hell of a lot of the public health sector work, not the COVID work so much. I think we had, a, you know, at the peak of the COVID hospitalisation, uh, they had about maybe 5%, if that, of the number of patients with COVID in the public, in the public sector. But it was a resource of sorts that could be called upon, um, although they were, um, there were some pretty grumpy surgeons out there, as you've no doubt heard in the media, who were very happy to say, uh, my hospital has empty beds, why can't I operate? Without any um, perception or understanding that those beds usually have nurses attached to them. Um, when they go home, that's what happens. Um, very distressing, divisive, ugly um, behaviour by a very small portion of people. In aged care, as Andrew said, look, it is the worst. It is the worst thing. I, I'm. I got a, a, an email from a member two days ago, and I'm, and I'm embarrassed that I'm sitting on it um, because I want to fact check it. I, I can't. I can't believe that it can be 100% true. Um, if I had tried to make up the worst nightmare story, um, I couldn't have written a story as bad as that member wrote. Um, it, it, it is distressing. And, um, you know, we, I, I go to to the Royal Commission. I know, you know, we've been involved in aged care for a long time. We know what's needed. We know what's wrong. We know what has to be done. Uh, as yet, we don't have commitments from either the Labor or Liberal Party to do those things. Um, and, you know, we had a moment, uh, what day we up to Friday, it would have been about mid this week, where we had a 
nursing home where there was one carer for 170 residents. Um, how can that possibly work? PPA is an interesting thing. I think one of the peculiar things about the PPA environment was that the unions were the experts on PPA, not anyone else. Um, we had to research and invent the rules that became the rules. Um, uh, that's almost embarrassing, isn't it? But it, it's true. And um, you know, the concept of having an N95 fit tested mask was unheard of in health uh, a year ago. Uh, not unheard of in other industries, but unheard of in health. Um, that was something that had to be uh, created and agitated for by the health unions. I think the worst thing we've seen in this is a growth in that old term management prerogative. Some employers have lovingly embraced the crisis to treat their staff in the worst way I have seen in 30 years. It's not universal, but it's true of probably at least three of our seven biggest employers. It's like they've been let off their leash and this is their chance for payback. And um, what that does to members, of course, is make them angry. So they go from frustrated to angry. And um, I know your focus tonight is on what can we do to avoid this in the future. Um, at the moment, we're still getting through the present. Um, I'd love to focus on the future. I know a few things I wouldn't do in the future. I wouldn't close our only infectious diseases hospital, but we had dumb idea. But thinking about that now, you would need a 2000 bed um, hospital with 200 ICU beds to cope with the Omicron equivalent of January, February this year. Can you imagine a government allowing a fully staffed 2000 bed hospital with a 200 bed ICU to sit there when there wasn't a pandemic happening? I'd be very surprised that that uh, occurred. But we do need to build a buffer into the system. I don't yet know how. Um, got to remember it takes years to train a nurse and to enable them to, uh, to work as a nurse after they get out of university or TAFE. It's not something that they can do at the time. One of the things that we did early in the piece was bring in students we know that our, <clears throat> we knew that our nursing and free students were doing three or four days a week in university and then working in Kentucky Fried or a hotel somewhere for income on the other days. And what we wanted to do was to say, well, why can't they work in the health system on those other days? So that they get a bit of a chance to, um, you know, be supernumerary, get a feel for the system, um, put some of their knowledge into practice. Um, I'm very pleased to say that that has been belatedly embraced by employers. And I think that will be a feature that will continue into the future. Um, whatever we do, we have to recognise that we are not and don't want to be a San Francisco dock worker um, waiting for their call. Um, we don't have a queue of workers lined up. They aren't there. No union wants a queue of workers lined up, obviously, but we don't, we just don't have them. It, it will improve with border opening, but um, that is robbing people to pay ball too. Uh, acute care at home has improved dramatically um, by necessity because they couldn't allow people to come to emergency departments. So we've learned a bit. That's better. 
Um, but we are moving nurses like deck chairs on the Titanic. There's only so many to go around. We need to reduce the number of health services. Having 81 little empires, um, all interpreting the same piece of information differently, has probably been from a union point of view the most frustrating thing of this whole adventure. My last comment, I think, is should it be up to the unions to be the leader in, in PPE? I know we are, but should we be? And I think that's something that ought to be the government's responsibility to be funding and investing in that uh, rather than unions. But it has been extraordinary that we've come so far in, in a relatively short time on the PPE front. That's it from Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us at sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And stay safe and stick together.